in Joshua chapter 3, the people of Israel are getting ready to cross the River Jordan. They have uh, had the transition in chapter 1. Moses is uh, leading. Joshua is now leading. God says, Joshua, be strong and of very good courage. We've seen that importance of encouraging one another, that importance of having that courage. Courage is not just the absence of fear. The peace of God is not just the absence of fear. It is the presence of courage. Be strong and of a very good courage. And then in chapter 2, they send the spies into the land and they encounter Rahab and they hear her God story. I have loved over the past days hearing many of you share um, in various ways to get to hear your God story, how you came to know Christ as your Savior. And I love the fact that we are all saved at the cross, but we get to the cross by different ways. I'm glad for a God who is at work in every life in different ways, but he brings us to the same place of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but we come to that place of salvation in a variety of ways that God at work in us. And then we come to chapter 3, and they have moved. Joshua says it's time to move forward. God has given affirmation. He has given affirmation through the people. They've said, Joshua, as long as God is with you like he was with Moses, we're going to follow. And Rahab has affirmed that. She says, we know that God is going to do what he has done in the past for you. We're, we know he has given you this land. And then the spies come back and they affirm it. And the officers in our text this morning and the people, all of this is God's affirmation of what's about to take place. I want you to follow along as I read from beginning in verse 2. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. They have moved from the place where they have been camped for some time and they are now ready to move forward. They've moved up to the Jordan River. And the officers commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Let me just pause there, and I don't have the time to get into it this morning. But there is a strong truth throughout Scripture of the closeness of God to his people, but also the reverential fear that we are to have. He says, I am with you. The presence of God is manifested in the Ark of the Covenant. But he says, you need to stay back a little ways. He says, stay back about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We're looking for God to do wonders. This Old Testament word wonders is the closest word to the New Testament word for miracles. And it focuses on an aspect of the work of God in miracles that produces amazement and wonder. In the New Testament, there's several words that are used. There's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders. And that part of miracles, it's the same kind of event. It's a supernatural thing that God does, but it evokes amazement and awe and wonder. How long has it been since God has done something in your life that just calls you to stand back in amazement? And just say, wow, God did that. God does those kind of things in our lives. We are looking for that as a congregation, as a church. Not, all, not the kind of wonders that maybe some people are looking for, but the kind of wonders that, that is God at work in our midst. 
We have seen that in his work of transition. And God is, God is the one that does that. It, it causes us to say, look, that's what God is doing. God's the one that's in charge of this. God's the one that's in control. And we are looking for it as we prepare for revival. We're looking for God to do wonders among us. Some people settle for wonders that are physical in nature, but we're praying for something that transcends that to see the, the wonders that God does. And when God does wonders, he, he really does three things every time he performs something like that. The first thing that we would say God does is that God will accomplish some practical, something of practical benefit. There is something that he will do. For example, when Jesus healed the sick in his ministry here on earth, the practical benefit was, was that person was sick and now they're well. The lame could now walk. The blind could now see. There was some practical benefit that took place. In this story, it's going to be getting literally probably several million people across a river that otherwise they would not be able to cross. It does something. It actually helps. It benefits. The miracle has a point, but too often we settle for that. There are those when Jesus fed the 5,000 people, probably up to close to 15,000. There was just 5,000 men, maybe 15,000 people. There were people that walked away from that, and all they walked away from it with was a full stomach. Now, I'm sure they were glad to have something to eat. They were hungry. It had been a long church service, and like it is around here around 11 o'clock and 11.30 on Sunday mornings, you can start hearing some stomachs start to grumble and rumble, and at least I hope that's what we're hearing. So they walked away with a full stomach. It accomplished a very something of a practical benefit. For them, it's going to be getting across the river. How on earth do you get two-plus million people across a flooded river where there's no bridges and there's no boats, there's no way of getting across? The people in Canaan, are, they're satisfied, they're protected. They have a natural defense and barrier. And so this miracle that's going to take place is going to accomplish that practical thing, but let's not settle for that. Whenever God does a miracle, he secondly brings glory to himself. God does wonders. He does things in such a way that he will get the glory. When God's at work, when we're praying for revival, when we're praying for God to do things in our lives, God will not share his glory with anyone. And I have been in services, I have been in places and times where God was clearly at work and someone's pride in their flesh would rise up and they would start trying to take the attention and they would start trying to take the glory and the, the hand of God was pulled back. Why? Because God's not going to let man get the glory for something he has done. And God will get glory. When Jesus performed the miracles, it was signs and wonders. It was a sign, but it was also a wonder. It created amazement. And this is what takes place. They're going to see something that they've never seen before. They're going to see something that they can't explain. And people to this day are still trying to come up with some natural explanation. And there is no natural explanation when the only explanation is a supernatural explanation. That's what happens in this passage. But then God also, when he does a miracle, is communicating something about himself. He's revealing some truth about himself. That's the word that's used in the New Testament, the signs. The signs and wonders. The wonders, the amazement. The sign is the message that goes along with it. 
When Jesus fed that multitude and those people went away, there were some who went away with just the practical benefit. Their stomach was full. There were some that went away and said, wow, that's amazing. This man can multiply bread and fish to feed a crowd. But there were others who went away understanding the blessed truth that Jesus was the bread of life and that only he can satisfy. I want to preach to you this morning on getting the most out of our miracle. We're praying for wonders but God help us not to just settle for coming together in a few weeks for revival or praying and asking God to do things in our families as I know some of you are and praying for God to do things in our lives and just walk away with our problems solved, with the need met and not come away with a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of who God is. I want you to see three times in this passage. Whenever you're studying Scripture, always look for repeated words and repeated themes. I want you to see three times where God says, I want you to know something. God's communicating something. God is telling his people something, and he wants them to know. Look in verse 4. He says, follow, don't, don't get too close to the ark. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. God wants them to know the path that he has for them. He is leading and directing them. He doesn't want to just do this miracle. He wants them to follow. He has a path for them to live by and a path for them to follow. He says, you've not been this way before. He's not just talking about the literal ground. You've not walked across this ground before. And he's not just talking about you've never crossed a river before. He's saying, you're about to enter into the life and the land of Canaan of complete trust in me. And he says, you've never lived this way before. It's a path you've never been before. And I want you to know it. I want you to know which way to go. I'm so thankful that God gives us direction in our life. He gives us his word to guide us and direct us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to lead us. He gives us believers around us to speak truth and wisdom to us, to help us make decisions, but he shows us the path to go. When God does something in our life, he wants us to know which way we are to go. Look in verse 7. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. God wants us to know the power that is at work in our lives. He wants us to know, he wanted them to know, you see, it's not really about Moses. And though he's magnifying Joshua, it's not really about Joshua. In fact, Joshua has nothing to do with this miracle other than simply relaying the instructions that God gives. When, the, when God parted the Red Sea, Moses walks out with his rod and holds it up and the waters part. Here, Joshua's not involved. All Joshua does is, is say, hey, this is what God said, you go do it. Come and listen to hear what God's going to say. God was magnifying Joshua, but it wasn't about Joshua. It was about his power that is at work. God wants us to know his power. Look in verse 10. Joshua said, Hereby shall you know that the living God is among you. He wants us to know his presence. He says, This is the way. When you see this take place, you're going to know that the living God, the God who is alive and who is active and who is engaged in the life of his people, this is not some distant God that's in the sky. This is not some distant idol that can't speak and can't talk. This is the living God who is alive and is at work in this people, bringing them life and at work in their life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have 
life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. See, it's not enough just to get a little bit. I want all that God has for me as he is at work doing wonders. Not only his presence, but his purpose, he said, and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the ites. God's going to finish the job. He has a purpose. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to complete it. So he said, I want you to know this. I'm doing this thing. I'm going to get you across the river. That's a practical benefit. I'm going to do it in such a way that I'm going to get the glory. God's going to get the glory. But I am going to reveal something that you need to know. Do you know God? Now, there are levels of knowledge. We use that word know, you know, pretty loosely. We can say, do you, do you know someone? And it may mean that we just we have an awareness of their existence. Or it may be that we, we are familiar with something about them. Or it may mean that we really understand the value of that person or the meaning of that truth. We know it. Or it may mean that there's personal experience with that truth. I think a good illustration, and perhaps this is a good illustration on Valentine's Day. When Lynn and I first met, my dad was preaching a revival in the town of Goose Creek, South Carolina. When my dad, we asked him, and I said, where, where are we going next week? He said, Goose Creek, South Carolina. I'm going to have to say my image of Goose Creek was, was way out there. I'd been not bashing South Carolina. I love South Carolina. The greatest person in the world that I know came from South Carolina. But I had been to some, I had been to some creeks in South Carolina. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, when we arrived, we found out that it wasn't out in the middle of nowhere. It was part of North Charleston, right there at Charleston, and it was part of the city. I married a city girl. She lived on Farm Road, but she was in the city. Never met her. Well, I had met her when I was two, but clearly did not leave a lasting impression at that point. We were sitting there talking with the pastor and his wife that day, and we had known them for some years, and Mrs. Rogerson said, now on Monday evening, she was telling about some of the plans for meals, and she said, on Monday evening, we're going to the Zoller's house. Mrs. Zoller is a great cook, and she looked right at me, and she said, and they have three daughters. I should have known something was up then. If you had asked me prior to that moment, do you know Lynn Zoller, I would have said, never heard of her, don't know her. But at that point... I knew Lynn Zoller, but my knowledge was just simply I knew that she existed. I didn't know anything about her. Um, you know, just because you've heard of someone doesn't mean that they're attractive in any way. It might be like the old Andy Griffith where, you know, is she, is she, beaut is she pretty? She's nice. She's nice. <laughs> she might have just been nice. I didn't know. But I knew that she existed. On Monday evening, we well, actually I, we, I saw her on Sunday morning. And when she came in, they, I was teaching Sunday school for the service, and, and um, they brought the teen class in, and um, I became aware a little more of her existence. I thought, I hope that's one of those three daughters. I knew a little bit more. Through the week, we talked some. Friday night came time for us to leave, and we backed our Suburban that we pulled our, our trailer with. We backed it up to the church to load our sound system in. 
and um, it had rained during the week, and if you know anything about the low country of South Carolina, it gets pretty boggy there, and when we loaded that in, some men were helping us, we loaded it in, and that thing sank down to the axle. So they're trying to figure out how to, how to get it out, and one of the men said, I was trying to help, and one of the men said, Cameron, you're, you're in your suit. You just go stand over there to the side. We'll, we'll work on this. Well, over to the side was Lynn, and so I was more than happy to go stand over to the side. And so we had, I believe, I believe, my dad's not convinced of this, but I believe that that was divine providence that sank that thing down to the axle. God knew what he was doing. At that point, I knew a little bit more. I had knowledge. I I knew about her. We had talked. We knew that we liked similar music. We knew that we liked similar things. We had had enjoyed uh, talking together. Then over the next weeks and months, sometime down the road, we began to correspond. Now, we did back then. I know this is, this is going to be, some of y'all are going to be boggled by this. Uh, we wrote letters. For those of you under a certain age, that's when you take a piece of paper and a pen and you actually write down the words that you want to say to someone. And you fold it up and you put it in an envelope and then you give it to a guy on a horse and he carries it up. <laughs> Don't go quite that far back. But as we wrote, we started learning things about each other. And if you asked me, do you know Lynn Zoller? I would say, yeah, I know Lynn. I remember the year that we sent each other Christmas cards. And we sent them at different times and we opened them. And we had sent each other the exact same Christmas card. God is my witness. I'm telling you, it's providence. God was involved in this thing. I mean, look at me, it has to be God. (laughs) Wasn't that funny, Pastor Jeremy? Come on now. That was the wrong time to agree so strongly. Now, 30 years later, almost 30 years later, we've been married 30 years this year. And um, I I have experiential knowledge. I, I know, if you ask me, do I know my wife? I say, yes. Now, like most marriages, we're still, it's a lifelong process. We're still learning each other and getting to know each other and learning things. But you understand the difference in levels of knowledge? Some people say, oh, I know God. And what they simply mean is, I'm willing to affirm the existence of a higher power. But they really don't know God. There are others who have a little bit of understanding and they know maybe the Ten Commandments or they know that some things about God, and they would say, oh, I know God. And then there's some that have some understanding. They don't just have knowledge. They have some understanding, and they know, they understand some things about God. And so if you said, do you know God? Oh, yeah, I'm aware. I can tell you some theological truths about God. But then there are those who when you say, do you know God? And they say, yes, I know God. They have experienced him at work in their life. They have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They have lived a life of faith and they know that God is active and at work in their lives. And they're not like the sons of Eli who were priests and who knew the law forward and backward. And it says they did not know God. These are people that know him. And this is the kind of knowledge that God is saying. I want you to get this out of the wonders. I want you to know me. Do you have a burning desire in your heart 
to know God, to know him in a deeper way, to know him in a fuller way. This is what God says. I'm going to do these wonders so that you will know me. When we come to this passage and we see this truth, I want you to look down to verses 9 and 10. Because here's what I want us to end with this morning. How do we prepare for these wonders? How do we get the most out of our miracle? Well, we've got to prepare for it. He sends the officers through and he says, I want you to tell the people, sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart, get ready, God is going to do wonders. I believe with all of my heart that in the weeks to come, as we begin to pray for revival and we begin to prepare for revival, and as I mentioned in the announcements next week, as we share the prayer guide with you that will take us all on the same scriptures through three weeks, 22 days of preparation to pray together and to be hearing from God to speak to us that we will be prepared for Him to do wonders. Our verse in our revival that I've been repeating and sharing is Psalm 46 and verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. That concept of being still isn't just all right, I'm going to just stand very quiet and very still, though it may involve that. The word for be still is the word to release, to let go. That's what we're seeking to do during these days of revival, is to let go of the distractions of this world, to let go for two or three nights, to come aside and hear the word of God and listen for God to speak to us so that we can do what? Be still and know that I am God. That's what we're looking for. And not just to know more about God. If we come to revival and we go out the doors and our hearts have been stirred and we've had a good time and we, we hear something preached that we've never, never noticed before or we hear something that really picks our interest and we're ready to, wow, that's interesting, then we will have missed what God wants to do. God wants to do more than just stir us up. God wants, us to do, wants to do more than just bring glory to himself. He's going to do both of those. But he's also going to help us know him at that deepest level. Look at the verses, and I want you to read these verses and listen with me as we have Psalm 46.10 in our minds. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, come here. You see that? Be still. Come aside. Put aside the distractions. What distractions will we need to put aside to be ready to hear God speak? I'll tell you, there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of things that are speaking into our minds. There's some of you here this morning, and you're hearing the Word of God, and you're hearing, you're really listening, you're engaged. I can see it in your eyes. You're really paying attention. You're focused. But I also know that there are other voices that are competing for what God's Word is saying. There's the burdens and concerns of this past week. There's the burdens and concerns of the week to come. Some have experienced grief and loss in the past days. And you've got all these things and there's distractions. It's hard to come apart from those. It's hard during a week when we say we're going to have revival services. It's hard to leave behind the distractions and come apart. Come here. Release. Let go. Be still. So that we may know that he is God. What might God speak to you about during these days of preparation that you have to release and put aside 
for that time to prepare. It may be your favorite activity that you need to fast from. It may be listening to the news that keeps you so stirred up and emotional and angry and, let's just be honest, quite carnal that it's hard for us to hear the voice of God. Come aside. Come hither. And what's the next thing he tells them to do? And hear the words of the Lord your God. Be still, come hither, and know, hear the words of God. There are things that we need to hear. God is communicating through his wonders to us. And what are we to know? Be still and know that I am God. Come aside, come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. Why? Verse 10, Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. Be still and know that I am God. That's how we prepare to receive what God has for us. Look, I don't, I don't know all that God is going to do. And it's very interesting that at this point, God hasn't given the specifics on how they're going to get across the river. Now, he's about to. All they know is, is that God's going to do something wonderful. You're going to stand in the middle of the river, and the people are going to get across. Well, what's that going to look like? Is the water still going to be flowing? Is it going to go down a little? Now, he tells them that it's going, to, it's going to stop altogether. But at this point, they don't know that. I don't know what God's going to do. That's up to him. But I believe with all of my heart that God is preparing us for a time in which he will do wonders. And it won't be wonders to exalt man. It won't be wonders to make us feel good. It will be wonders to help us and to teach us and to communicate to us and to reveal to us who he is so that we may know God. Do you know God? Are you getting the most? Are you ready? Are you prepared to get the most out of the miracle? Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? In a moment, we will stand and we'll have our regular invitation. But here's my invitation to you this morning. You can come and pray for whatever's on your heart. But if God is beginning to stir in your heart, you know, it's easy for us to look around and for us to see someone that we're doing better than. And we say, man, they sure could use revival. I heard just this week of a church that is closing because they don't have enough people. They're just down to a handful of people and they can't even keep the doors open. And it's easy for us to feel complacent, to look around and say, well, we've got a crowd here, and we're, God's doing some things. It's easy to say they need revival, and surely they do. Surely they want it. But we're talking about us this morning. Are we ready for God to do wonders? Are we ready for God to show himself mighty on our behalf? Are we ready to cross territory we've never crossed before? I want to invite you this morning to come to this altar and Maybe it's in your personal life you're facing this new territory. Maybe it's for us as a church. Maybe it's for your family. But say, God, I want to know you. And whatever you do in answer to this prayer, and whatever you do in answer in this miracle, whatever you do to bring reconciliation in my family, whatever you do in my life, whatever you do in our church, I want to come out the other side knowing you. 
And I invite you to come to the altar and talk to God. Father, speak to us this morning. I believe your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. Lord, we're crying out for you to do wonders among us. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus.